Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my friends. Sean Ferrick here for Trek Culture, and welcome to our video. Just before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who has liked, who has shared, and who has subscribed. That helps us grow as a channel, and it helps us continue to bring you lists like this. So, with that, I am Sean, and welcome to 10 behind-the-scenes secrets about Caretaker. Number 10, recasting Janeway. Now, it's pretty well known at this stage that Genevieve Bujol was originally cast to play Janeway. Now, she came in and she filmed for about a couple of days on Caretaker until she quite abruptly said, nah, and just walked out. That was it. She was done. The explanation was that she just was not happy with the way it was being filmed, the pace of production and things like that. Now, Garrett Wang actually expanded on this a little bit on a podcast in 2019 because he was among the first to be cast in Caretaker and one of the few who actually shared scenes with Bujold's Janeway. He recalled that she would come to set, she would film the scenes and she would leave and there was very little interaction with other actors on set so that he went up to her at one point and said, kind of, hello, how are you? What's going on? And she just sort of opened up that she had been promised all sorts of things, but mostly that she would be playing a captain first and a woman second. However, when she got there, hair and makeup just spent so much time trying to get to get her to look a certain way, experiment with the hairdo, this and that, that it began to waste, in her opinion, valuable filming time. That then meant they were looking at extremely long days and she had two very young children at the time and she was concerned that she was just going to miss them growing up if she stayed with the show. So she made the unilateral decision to just go, no, that's not what I signed up for. That's not why I'm here. And she left. Now, thankfully, Kate Mulgrew stepped into the breach fairly quickly and we got the Janeway that we know and love today. Number nine, redesigned Voyager. When Voyager was going into production, executive producer Jerry Taylor wrote that she wanted something smaller and sleeker than the Enterprise D. Now, Star Trek The Next Generation had only really just gone off the air in 1994. The production for Voyager started, it could have began in 1993. And of course, Generations would come out in 1994, 1995, depending on what territories you're in. So that meant that the Galaxy-class ship would be fresh in people's minds, and she wanted the Intrepid-class ship to look very, very different. Rick Sternbach was given the job of designing the new hero ship. Now, he had worked on The Next Generation and DS9 before. He was, in fact, the one who designed the runabout, for example, but it was his predecessor, Andy Probert, who had designed the Enterprise D. So this was his first big shot at a hero ship. Taking the brief of smaller and sleeker, but also taking inspiration from his own runabout, he designed a ship that had sweeping down nacelles that sort of aimed backwards as well, and also then a much more arrowhead saucer section, for want of a better description. This ship would be able to separate and the landing gear was there from the beginning because it was always designed to be able to land on a planet. 
This got as far as, after some some changes went on, they got rid of the pylons, for example, that had looked a little bit too close to the runabout. Well, a studio model was built of this version of the ship. Jerry Taylor looked at it and went, actually, can we go a little bit curvier? And so Sternbach took the brief and again reworked it. Now was able to go, well, look, Voyager's not going to separate saucer sections, was able to integrate the primary and secondary hulls a little bit closer together, shortened the nacelles, which had been not quite discovery long, but certainly had been longer, and gave us the Voyager that we all know and love. Number eight, it was the result of a cheap lunch or two. Michael Piller, Rick Berman, and Jerry Taylor all came together to write what would become Caretaker and Voyager as a whole. Brandon Braga, who would of course go on to play a huge role in Star Trek Voyager, missed out on these sessions because he had the audacity to go on holiday. The cheek! The absolute cheek! Michael Piller recalled that what they would do is they would get together over lunch four days a week between July and September of 1993. Over the course of these lunches, which would last about two and three hours and were, in Michael Piller's description, very cheap, they broke what would become the story of Caretaker. They were able to kind of build the characters together that way so that by the time September 93 came around, they had what looked like the beginnings of what would become Caretaker. Number seven, it was inspired in part Q. One of the main selling points of Star Trek Voyager was that it was going to be away from the rest of Star Trek. And an important way to get that to happen came from the episode Q Who. If you recall, in Q Who, Q flings the Enterprise D thousands of light years away from Federation space. Now, it's not quite as far because Data says it would take about two years to get back to Federation space. Now, while they're there, of course, they encounter the Borg. It's a fantastic episode. Go and watch it if you haven't seen it. It's amazing. Crucially, in Q Who, Q sends them back home again at the end, which then begged the question, what happens if he didn't? That effectively was the nugget that led to the creation of Star Trek Voyager. You know, what happens if they're sent so far away that they're cut off from everything and they can't get back really, really quickly? It introduced just a whole bunch of challenges that would become, again, part of the crux of Voyager. What happens if you can't just send a message to Starfleet? What happens if Starfleet don't know if you're alive or dead? What happens? What happens? What happens? That is how the birth of Star Trek Voyager took place. Number six, the mistakes of Emissary led to Caretaker. Emissary directly influenced Caretaker, but not quite in the way that, say, Q Who influenced the events of Caretaker. It was more the style that became very, very important, particularly in Michael Piller's mind, because he recalled that Emissary tonally went away from Next Generation. It was a more ethereal, particularly in the parts with the prophets, a more contemplative pilot. It was about it was heavy on character and story. It's not that they didn't want to do character and story with Caretaker, but absolutely, Pillar said, we're just going to dial up the action-adventure element here. And that's exactly what they did. Now, a good example would be, look at the cold opens of both Emissary and Caretaker, okay? And you might be thinking, well, hang on, Emissary opens with the Battle of Wolf 359. That's about as action-packed as you can get, is it? So we do get that fantastic scene of the Saratoga engaging the cube and being roundly destroyed. And then it gets quiet 
and it cuts. And then we get, it's short, but a little scene of Cisco talking to Jake on the holodeck. And we get that nice quiet reveal with the theme tune of the station of Deep Space Nine. Okay, now let's look at Star Trek Voyager, the cold open here. So again, we open up with a little bit of action. We have the Valjean being hunted by Gullivec and the Cardassian ship. Now, we're firing torpedoes, we're firing phasers. We have the usual, you know, consoles made of rocks exploding all around us. We end up in the Badlands. Both ships take a beating. The Cardassian ship is hit by one of those plasma storms in an effect that would be used again and again and again. Then you have the Valjean. They see that the big massive displacement wave is coming up behind them and slam... There is no lull. There is no kind of breath here. It was just, let's go, let's go, let's go. And that continues more or less through a caretaker. Of course, there are quiet moments, but in much more so than Emissary, we have a lot more action adventure in Caretaker than we do in the opening of Deep Space Nine. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Number five, Michael Piller lost an argument and the Maquis gained Starfleet uniforms. In Caretaker, the Maquis are of course an entirely separate crew that have been infiltrated by Tuvok and are then forced to work alongside the Starfleet officers as the episode goes on. Michael Piller was very, very set on having the Maquis remain Maquis for the duration of Voyager. Rick Berman was dead set against this. As Ronald D. Moore recounted, this was an argument Michael Piller lost. Rick Berman had Star Trek Deep Space Nine in his mind during the writing of this episode. And what I mean by that is that he was very convinced that the perceived failing ratings of DS9 meant that he did not want Voyager to be very reliant on the style of DS9. He wanted it to go back to next generation, have that more kind of optimistic view of the future. And in fairness, pretty much that's what they did. And therefore, at the end of Caretaker, you have one crew. And they are all Starfleet crew in Starfleet uniforms. That was Rick Berman going, I am not sitting down to commit to one, two, three, however many seasons of two crews on the one ship. That's too much diversity and it's too much conflict. Now, the ghost of Roddenberry was very much in his ear at this point. Rick Berman himself did say that, yes, once we didn't have to do those rules anymore, things did get a little bit easier. But definitely you can see that in Caretaker specifically, there was absolute, nope, we are not having a ship full of people who are at each other's throats the whole time. Number four, Nick Locarno. 
Robert Duncan McNeil had of course already appeared in Star Trek in The Next Generation. He appears in the episode The First Duty, which is an absolutely fabulous episode, as Cadet Nick Locarno. He's the ringleader of the group that effectively served as the template for what Red Squad would become. They do the Cold War Starburst, Wesley gets pulled up in it, and Nick Locarno is kicked out of Starfleet Academy. Robert Duncan McNeil then gets invited to audition for this new part. Now, he doesn't know this, but it's initially called Nick Locarno. Jerry Taylor said, we're going to get a Nick Locarno type character. So they just used his name throughout. We've all said across the way, oh, it was legal issues, legal issues, legal issues. And to be fair, that is a massive part of why Nick Locarno became Tom Paris. But they did do a name change, but they didn't change anything else because Robert Duncan McNeil himself said that when he got the script, he was like, this is Nick. He didn't realize that he was auditioning for a new series. He thought they were bringing the character of Nick Locarno back into what he thought was the then approaching Star Trek The Next Generation movie, uh, Generations. He knew that was coming, so he thought, oh, okay, well, weird that they're going to bring Locarno back for that, but all right, grand. He then, of course, discovered that, no, that was not the plan. It was for Star Trek Voyager. Locarno and Tom Paris are the same character. And there's a couple of things that have changed, they've kind of had to change along the way. But from the beginning, there wasn't, it wasn't an accident how similar these two characters were. Number three, Crips and Bloods. The poor Al Kazon have been referred to in many circles, including my own, as discount knockoff Klingons. And I'm not going to lie, I don't feel particularly guilty for that statement. Because they never really got a chance to become anything more than thugs. That's all they really... Basically, they are thugs, there you go enjoy your new villain. And that is one of the reasons they were written out of the show relatively early. But in Caretaker, they serve as roving gangs in space and they took inspiration from the Crips in America. In the earliest notes, there was literally written in, and the Crips will do this and the Crips will do that. The Crips were formed in 1969 and they are one big organization, but they are also comprised of lots and lots of subsets, which is that's basically what the Kazon are. They are sects. In Caretaker, we get the Kazon Ogla, and of course, we know we would go on to see the Kazon Nistrum. They would become the bigger group, if you like. Now, in real life, these street gangs, they engaged in drug dealing, they engaged in murders, they engaged in all sorts of violence, and this is replicated, in a way, in Caretaker. Now, we don't see drug dealing going on, but we do certainly see acts of violence and, of course, the oppression of the Ocampa as well. Once Voyager effectively stands up to them and only really wins because of superior technology, they say, yeah, our buddies are going to come after you. And that was, again, directly inspired by how a lot of this would happen in real life. Number two, Suspiria was a get-out-of-jail-free card inspired by the fugitive. Suspiria was the caretaker's mate. Now, we wouldn't get the name Suspiria for a few episodes. We just hear that there's another one out there. So the female caretaker, if you like. Now, at the end of Caretaker, the caretaker dies. With him goes the technology to send Voyager home. That, of course, is what strands them in the Delta Quadrant, Janeway's decision to destroy the array. However, Rick Berman recalled that Paramount were like, this is a great idea, this is a great idea, you need to give us an out. 
It was the nerves of having this Lost in Space style show going on that couldn't cross over with Deep Space Nine and it couldn't cross over with the Star Trek movies because it was so physically far away from them. So Berman looked to the old series and its recent movie adaptation, The Fugitive, as a way of solving this problem. He looked at the character of the one-armed man. Well, basically, there, there's something else out there. Now, we might not see it, and we might not know where it is. But it's out there. Don't worry. It's out there. It's out there. I mean, it took four seasons for the one-armed man to really become a character in The Fugitive, and it took two seasons for Suspiria to become a character in Star Trek Voyager. And by the time that happened, Paramount were a bit like, yeah, listen, you're okay now. You, you can continue doing what you're doing. But in the beginning, that entire inclusion of the female caretaker was purely so that they could do a hard reset if they had to, if it looked like the audience just was not reacting well to the idea of a Starfleet ship out in the back pocket of the arsehole of nowhere. Number one, it was heartless and no one cared about Neelix from the beginning. Michael Piller recalled that Caretaker, by the time it was finished and put on air, was, it was very good. Was, there was a lot of action going on, so it was quite an enjoyable romp. But what it didn't have was heart. He recalled that Tom Paris gets an arc in Caretaker. You know, he goes from, I'm the bad boy in the penal colony, to basically, yeah, he's actually a good guy, pilot of Voyager by the end of it. There is an arc there, but in Pillar's view, that was it. All of the other characters, it wasn't so much that they were ill-defined, but it's rather than the action depending on them, they depended on the action. This, he felt, was a frustrating element of Caretaker because it let down the story overall. Now, they were able to jig a few things around to give people slight character moments that really helped them along the way. But the one character that Pillar felt just did not come out of Caretaker well was Neelix. He thought, we have a problem here because if you think about Caretaker, his first scene is, you know, he's in the junkyard and it's a bit like, okay, grand, this could go any which way. And how many different person in junkyards character have we seen? So there's nothing really stand out about it. And by the end of the episode, he is standing on the bridge with Kess ready to join the crew. But not an awful lot really between that. You have the scene in the bath, which is funny, sure. And then you have him betraying the Starfleet crew once he gets to Okamba and gets Kess. Caretaker Neelix is not a massively likable character. Now, as time went on, it's flip a coin. I, he, he's become Marmite in that respect. Now, Ethan Phillips, by all accounts, is like the nicest man who has ever worked on Star Trek, which is a massive shame that poor old Neelix is hated by a large portion of the fan base. But particularly behind the scenes in Caretaker, the one character that they all felt just didn't work was poor old Neelix. 